so here we go. Um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 35, we're, we're going to get there eventually, but we're going to kind of take a, a meandering path uh, to get there. Um, it's all about promises, right, as you heard in the kids' chat, and then uh, hopefully picked up in the reading. It's all about promises, and, uh, and so, so we want to just kind of say some general things about promises first, and then we'll think about promises that we make, <clears throat> and then we'll get into promises that God makes. Uh, that's kind of where we're, where we're headed today. So um, promises in general, we could say two things. They are foundational and they are effective, right? Foundational and effective. Uh, we could say that promises are foundational for the way that the world works, um, and, and we'll see some examples of that as, uh, as, as we get going today. Uh, we can also say that promises are foundational for just the way that God set things up. Uh, and we'll see that as we get into the God uh, promise section. Um, and we could also say that they are effective. Uh, promises are effective, meanings um, uh, that they, I, I wasn't sure how to word this really, but, but, but basically what I'm trying to say there is, uh, is that they actually do something to us and for us. And, and I want to just uh, throw out there that really promises do two things for us, or, or one of two things. They give us hope. Uh, and they give us direction. Some promises just give us direction. Some promises just give us hope. Some promises do both, right? They give us direction and a hope. And so today, um, as we're walking through different promises from different people, uh, we'll be talking about, and I'll try, I'll try to bring in uh, the examples of how promises give us both direction and hope. Direction and hope. So, um, so, so I want you to be thinking about some of the promises that you make um, and I'll be uh, sharing some of the promises uh, that I have made. Um, June 10th, um, 2006, I promised to, um, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold um, from this day forward, for better or for worse, uh, a certain lady named Krista. And I'm still living in that promise today, right? I'm still um, trying to keep that promise as best I can. Um, uh, I, I promised to uh, love and to cherish to have and to hold her and no other, right? Uh, so June 10th, 2006 uh, was when I got to speak my wedding vows and my promises to my wife. And I'm still living in that promise today, right? And, and that promise, we've got to see this, gives hope and direction. I want you to see this. Um, uh, it gives me direction on what I'm supposed to do in my life, right? I'm supposed to what? Have and hold her. Uh, I'm supposed to love and to cherish her. And I'm supposed to do that to her and to no other person, right? Uh, at least not to the same degree that I do to her, right? Um, so it gives me direction uh, for my life. It also gives me hope, uh, and, and you just have to see this, right, because um, I wasn't just speaking promises to her, she was speaking promises to me. And so it gives me hope that on the worst days, right, when we are butting heads, uh, when we are not on the same page, it does happen uh, pretty often, actually, probably on a weekly basis at least, right? Uh, and so on the worst days, I can trust and I can know, I can have hope, right, that, uh, um, that it will be okay. Uh, that will both kind of come back and put in the time and the effort and the energy, um, the hard work of relationships and say, hey, where did we get off page? How can we get back on the same page, right? Um, so, so it gives me hope and direction, uh, June 10, 2006. Um, another example of promises that I have made is, uh, is actually just last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, 
Um, my, my wife was out of town, and I had uh, made a couple of promises to my son, Simon. And, uh, and so um, uh, we, we make promises to our kids. I, I imagine at some point in time, if you have a kid, you've probably made a promise to that person, to that child. Um, uh, Krista and I try hard to make promises and keep them, uh, even if it's not a, with a I promise language, right? If we say we're gonna do something, we try really hard to do it. And so last Saturday, I told Simon, Simon, we're gonna, make, we're, we're gonna play some Uno today, just me and you, right? You're just gonna get some special time with me, and, uh, and we're gonna go to the park all together as a family, we'll play some ball sports and uh, and have a have a picnic dinner. Well, lo and behold, uh, it's about four o'clock on Saturday, and life had kind of happened, and time got away from me, and I'm like, I can't do both of those things today. And so I went up to Simon and I said, Hey, Simon, um, I'm sorry that I can't do that. Here's what I'd like to do. Is this okay? I would like to play Uno right now, just me and you. And then, uh, and, and then we'll keep playing Uno and I'll start making dinner. And, uh, and then tomorrow, we'll all go to the park uh, together and have our, our picnic lunch and play our ball sports there. And he said, Sure, um, that's fine. And so we did Uno and we went to the park the next day. Right? So I was unable to keep my promise in that moment, uh, but I said that I was sorry, and then I, I came back, and, and, uh, and, and we kind of renegotiated, so to speak. Right? Um, it gave uh, hope and direction. Right? It gave me direction for what I was going to do. <laughs> uh, I was going to make sure I played Uno with Simon and that we were going to go to the park together. It gave Simon hope that he was going to uh, get some special time with Dad and that we were all going to go and enjoy some time at the park together, right? Promises give hope and direction to us. Um, uh, promises are, are, are foundational for the way that the world lives. We haven't even uh, touched on things like, uh, like mortgages. Uh, mortgages are essentially promises, right? I mean, if we really kind of look at it, right, we promise the bank to keep paying them so they let us live in the place where we're living, right? And, and after we pay off the mortgage and then some, uh, we are able to get the house, right? Um, uh, even uh, like uh, contracts, right? Employee contracts, uh, um, there, there's, there's kind of that deal where um, you can work in this space and we'll pay you if you do these things, right? Kind of deal, right? So, so those are promises. Promises are foundational for the way that the world works and they are effective. They, they give us hope and they give us direction. Okay, everybody kind of on the same page there? Uh, I want you to keep all that in your, in your minds, and we're going to shift gears and be thinking about God and the promises that God makes. Um, I don't really know this. I didn't research it, but I would uh, venture to guess that we could probably say God makes hundreds of promises throughout Scripture. Um, on, on, the, on the screen there, you see just a few promises. These are just like randomly selected. These are literally just like I sat down and uh, what promises could I think of in about five minutes, right? And these are the ones that I just kind of randomly uh, popped out, right? So, so these are just a few of the promises that God makes. And for each one of these, we'll talk about those two things, right? Hope and direction. So, so Genesis chapter three, right? You're probably familiar with this, even if you can't think of it immediately. Um, uh, Adam and Eve have just sinned, right? And, uh, and God comes and he speaks promises to Satan. Now, uh, we call them curses, and rightly so, because they're promises of doing something uh, evil or mean to him, right? But, uh, but, but God makes promises to Satan, and he says, Satan, um, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. I'm going to put division. I'm going to put strife and struggle between you and humanity, in other words, right? In other words, Satan, your job's not going to be so easy in the future, 
uh, it, it, you're not going to have such easy and free reign access to my people anymore. Um, uh, God also says, hey, Satan, um, you just won a great victory over me and my kingdom, but guess what? I'm going to win the ultimate victory over you, and I'm going to crush your head. Right? God's making him a promise. And that promise gives us hope, right? Remember that hope is not a vague wish. It's a certainty that something better is going to come. Um, those pro that promise that God makes give us, the whole world, hope that something better is going to come. And it gives God direction then for the rest of history, really. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis 13 to 22, uh, it's kind of a wide span, I understand that, but um, uh, these are promises that God makes to this kind of one random guy named Abraham. Uh, it, God just kind of comes to this guy and like randomly pulls him out of the whole world and, uh, and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the entire world. And Abraham, you're going to have many descendants, and I'm going to give those many descendants a land. Right? And, uh, and so that gives hope and direction. Right? It gives hope to this guy named Abraham um, that something better is going to come in his future. And it gives God direction for what he's going to do in and through the life of this man, Abraham. Right? God makes promises to Abraham. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Um, this is actually in the list of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but it's the first commandment that God attaches a promise to. Um, uh, I always hated this commandment as a child. I love it now as a parent because it's the honor your father and mother, right? <laughs> it's so fantastic. It's right? much different being a parent and hearing that commandment than being a child and hearing that commandment. So honor your father and mother um, so that your days will be long, right? Do you see that? God makes a promise there. If you honor your parents, honor your father and mother, then your days will be long. In other words, you'll live a, a long life kind of thing, uh, or your days will be good uh, is maybe another way to look at that, that promise that God makes. So, um, so, so pretty interesting, right? That gives hope and direction. Uh, it gives me direction that I'm supposed to honor my parents, um, even now, as a 37-year-old, right, I, I, sh I, I struggle with this, and I try to uh, keep this in mind of how can I best honor my father and mother, right? Uh, and then uh, there's hope that's attached to that in the sense of um, uh, God's promise, right, that if I'm doing that, then my days will be long. My days will be good. Honor your father and mother, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I want to uh, read this one so I don't get it wrong. God says, know my word and do it, and your way will be prosperous. Uh, Joshua 1, 8. Uh, the people are standing on the brink of the promised land, um, and, um, and they're just about ready to step in and, uh, and take over the land that God promised way back in Genesis to a man named Abraham. And, uh, and the people of God are standing there, and God says, look, if you know my word and do it, apply it, right, put it into practice, um, then your way will be prosperous, your way will be peaceful, your way will be um, good moving forward. And so that gives hope and a direction, right? It gives us direction um, to uh, know the word of God and to actually put it into practice. And then we can have hope that when we're doing that, our way will be prosperous or good. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. God comes to a man named David and says, hey, your house and your kingdom are made sure forever, Right? Um, in other words, hey, David, somebody from your family is going to rule and reign over all things for all time. 
It gives David hope and it gives God direction. Um, it gives David hope that something better is going to come, right? He, he, had, a, he had a great life, but, but God comes and says, hey, it's going to be even better down the road. I'm giving you hope for your future, David. And it gives God direction, right? This is what God is going to do now through the life of this man, David. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 11, uh, this is kind of a fun one. Uh, An angel shows up and says, this Jesus will come again, just as he left. So this is um, after Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, the disciples, uh, Jesus has just ascended into heaven, and the disciples are staring into heaven like this. Right, and an angel comes and says, hey, this Jesus that you just saw leave is gonna come back just as he left. Uh, it's a promise, right, that gives us hope, uh, hope that, uh, that something better is going to come, that this Jesus who did all these incredible things while he lived here on earth is gonna come back in the same way with the same amount of power and glory and grace and love that he showed while he was here walking on the earth. This Jesus will come again. It gives us hope. And then 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, um, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin. It's a promise that God makes, right? And, and it gives us hope and direction. That, that if we actually take the heart level time to, um, to, 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 to admit our sin, to put our sin on the table in front of God and others, that he's going to be faithful and just and he will forgive those sins in a fresh new way. It gives us hope and direction. Um, The promises uh, are foundational for the way the world works and the way God set things up. And promises give hope and direction to us. Now, um, uh, we finally land, uh, here we go, on Jeremiah chapter 35 uh, and the story of the, of the Rechabites. Uh, Rechabites are a super interesting story uh, because we see them really nowhere else in Scripture. We know, like, nothing about them. They are like this small, um, uh, sort of like, uh, uh, on the fringe of society group of people. I mean, they're, they're probably maybe, maybe 100 people big at this time in history. And, and what they've done is they have made promises, right? They've made promises, and these promises are kind of arbitrary promises. Three promises that they have made, um, that they will not live in a house, uh, that they will not drink wine, and that they will not plant any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, crop, especially vineyards, right, it is singled out. So, so they've made these promises uh, kind of to each other as a group of people that says, we are going to live this way, And just see this, right? They have kept those promises for 250 years. Uh, That's probably maybe three or four generations worth of families, right? Three or four generations worth of people that have made these promises to each other that we're not going to live in a house, we're not going to drink wine, and we're not going to plant any kind of crops. Um, We have no idea why they made these promises. No idea. Uh, there's nowhere in scripture where God comes and says, you shall not drink uh, any wine, you shall not plant any crops, and you shall not uh, live in a house. Uh, there's nowhere in scripture uh, where God comes to this Rechabite clan or this family, whatever their family line is, we don't even know. Uh, we have no idea why they've made these promises. They've just sort of made these arbitrary promises uh, that, that have said, hey, this is how we're going to do life. And those promises give them direction 
for 250 years in Jeremiah 35, right? That's how long they've been keeping the promise. Um, our best guess for why they made the promise, and I don't, this really, I don't know. Well, I'm going to share it anyways, right? Our best guess for why they um, made this promise is that they're, it's kind of a faithful um, uh, pushback against the cozy, comfortable uh, lifestyle of Judah and Jerusalem at the time of Jeremiah. Um, uh, uh, if you remember, right, the, at, at this time in history, Judah and Jerusalem are, are kind of having this cozy, comfortable, settled lifestyle, right, where, where they're basically saying, hey, God loves us so we can do whatever we want, even if it's the worst thing for us. And so these Rechabites maybe are having kind of like a faithful response to that, a faithful pushback against that, where they're saying, hey, we're not going to be settled. We're not going to live in houses. We're going to live in tents. We're not going to be cozy, uh, which means we're not going to drink wine, and, and we're, not going to, we're, not, we're not going to settle down and plant crops and vineyards, which would take four or five years to really see the fruit of that. We're not going to do any of that. We're, we're, going, to, we're, we're going to do this. So this is how we're going to do life. No houses, no wine, no planting. They make these arbitrary promises to each other. Now, here's the deal. The um, uh, story of the Rechabites is super interesting, but, but the, the Rechabites are just a sermon illustration. Um, the point is not the Rechabites. The point of the Rechabites is what they point to. Does that make sense? <laughs> the point of the Rechabites is what they point to. They're just a sermon illustration here. So, so I just want you to hear this. The point is not don't buy a house, and the point is not don't drink wine. Everybody says, oh. Okay, and uh, the point is not don't plant any vineyards or crops. That's not the point of Jeremiah 35. The point is what they point to. So let me suggest to you three different things that this story of the Rechabites kind of points to, and they all start with the letter R, uh, just so you can hopefully remember them a little bit easier. First of all, they kind of lead us to, and they point towards repentance. This is the whole point of Jeremiah in 35. Um, he's basically saying, look, this, this, this out-of-the-way small clan has kept their promises, have, has, has lived faithfully for 250 years, and these are arbitrary promises that make no point. They're not even God-commanded, and you can't keep your promise to God. That's the whole point that Jeremiah is trying to make. He's just pointing a finger at him and saying, hey, why can't you keep your promises? And so right away then we, we kind of begin to, to think through not the promises that we have made, but the promises that we have broken through time. Um, whether it's as simple as, hey Simon, I can't play Uno and go to the park with you today, or something far bigger. But, but we begin to think about all the promises that we, that we haven't kept with each other, and we begin to think about all the promises that we haven't kept in our relationship with God. And so this story of the, of the Rechabites um, really kind of challenges us and it's kind of in our face saying, yeah, why, why can't I keep my promise? Why do I struggle so much um, to, to stay in and grow my relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, why do I struggle so much um, to, to keep my commitment to just read God's word for five minutes every day. Right? And, and we could go on and on here, but, but, but the, the story of the Rechabites points us towards repentance and, and just being honest and real with ourselves about how we break promises to each other and to God.
Um, the story of the Rechabites also uh, kind of pushes us or, or helps us to refocus. We spend so much time uh, focused on the promises that we sort of live in around this world. I mean, even if you just look at promises that we have at work, uh, promises that we make to our families, uh, those two things alone, right, take up a, a, an extraordinary amount of time, yeah, and energy. And we just spend so much time focused on those promises that, that you know that are that are kind of worldly in a sense, and um, and and all of a sudden uh, we realize, man, there's always going to be hurt and disappointment when we're focused on worldly promises, always. Um, because uh, life happens and time gets out of your control. Um, because uh, sin causes brokenness in each one of us. I mean, the list could go on and on, but the reality is that when we spend so much time focused on worldly promises, right, we're always going to be faced with disappointment and hurt. And so it, this, this just pushes us to refocus off of worldly promises and, and spend more time lifting our eyes and, and focusing on the promises of, of God. Jeremiah doesn't really go here, but, but I just think this is fascinating. I mean, who else makes promises, arbitrary promises, right, and keeps them for 250 years? Who else makes promises, arbitrary promises, and keeps them for 2,000 years? Who else makes promises and keeps them for 4,000 years? Since the beginning of time, when Satan first led us astray from God and says, I'm going to win the ultimate victory, and evil will not have the final word. It's only God. Right, the Rechabites are like this incredible picture of who God is and what God does. Just arbitrary promises. <laughs> um, this is how I'm going to do life. And, and those promises then give hope <laughs> and direction. Right? They give us hope <laughs> that something better is going to come. That that we don't have to be stuck in this world of hurt and disappointment forever, that there's something better still to come. And it gives direction for how we should do life, right? That, that this is how God set things up to be. And so we want to we wanna rejoice, right, in the promises that God has made to us. So the story of the Rechabites is so fascinating because, because it pushes us to repentance, yes, but it also calls us and invites us, I think, to, to refocus and to lift our eyes. And then what, can, what else can we do but, but rejoice, right, in a God who makes kind of arbitrary but huge promises and keeps them for 250, for 2,000, for 4,000 years to you. Amen? Amen.